What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and at Ethos Fantasy BB. Specifically, check out Ethos Fantasy BB. That's where all of our baseball and fantasy baseball content will be posted throughout this offseason. I do want to remind you guys, once again, that we are hiring people here at Sports Ethos across all sports. Specifically, we're focusing on baseball on this show. But if you're interested in writing about basketball, football, hockey, we are bringing on a ton of different people. So reach out to myself or Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. If you're interested in writing, podcasting, blurbing, doing Twitter work, whatever it is that you are interested in, reach out to us. Uh, We are trying to fill some positions right now. But we are going to conclude my rankings today. The top 50, anyway, these will be expanded on throughout the offseason and into the lead-up for next year. Once we hit 2023, that's when these will really start to be tinkered with a lot. But we're going to finish up these initial top 50 that I pulled together last week. We have gone through 37 so far. We're going to go 38 through 50, and then we'll talk about a couple of the honorable mentions that I have at the end. So we're going to just kick this one off right away here. I've been preambling quite a bit recently. My apologies there. We are just going to get right into the show today, though. Raphael Devers, he is who I have at number 38, and maybe he pushes up a little bit. I know this will probably be lower than some people have him, but I think we have to really keep our expectations in check a little bit here. He finished 44th this season, and it wasn't a bad season. I mean, for him, maybe you'd call it a bad season. For most people, though, 84 runs, 27 homers, 88 RBIs, three steals, and a 295 batting average. Now, if you're comparing what he did last year to the previous year, He lost 17 runs, he lost 11 homers, he lost, what was it, 25 RBIs and two steals. Now, his batting average went up 16 points, but that really speaks to the quality of the lineup in Boston around him. It's deteriorated a little bit, and I worry heading into next year what's going to happen. If Xander Bogarts leaves, I don't think J.D. Martinez will be back. Maybe they decide to go into more of a rebuild, and maybe they keep Devers around for that. Maybe they trade him, I'm not sure. But if they keep him on a sinking ship, which is looking I mean it's it's not looking great for them especially in that division the Jays are strong the Orioles are getting stronger Tampa's always strong the Yankees who knows what's going to be with the Yankees uh, if Judge comes back or whatever they should still be strong though I don't think they've had a losing season in like 30 years or something like that they should still be fine the Red Sox are going to be maybe the odd man out in that division like they were again this year maybe they foresee that coming and they don't really try to put a lot of money into, you know, what will probably end up being a 500 ball club in that division anyway. Maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. But it's not really a great time for them to be putting together, I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll spend a bunch of money and they'll go and, you know, try and bring back Bogarts and try and go for a couple other big names. I don't really see that happening. I think what's likely to happen is they're going to start to try and rebuild. Bogarts will probably leave. There's been talk. We talked about it a couple times this year about how he was not happy with the Red Sox management, how they've handled the team. And if it's just Devers there without Bogarts, without Martinez, I mean, I like Alex Verdugo, but that doesn't really do too much for you there in terms of the whole equation. We've already seen a a loss from last year in terms of his stats, and I think they could potentially even get worse. Now, maybe we see the home runs push back up. I could see that. Him getting back in the 35 to 40 range is totally doable. But these counting stats are going to suffer a little bit. So that's why I have him here at 38. I don't think that he should be in the top 20, at least not right now. Maybe he will push up into that range. If the Red Sox do bring back Bogarts, they bring a couple pieces in, then your worry level goes down ah, significantly. Excuse me, And then you're probably going to say, okay, I'll take Devers somewhere in the end of the second round. Right now, I think end of the third, early fourth is probably safe for him. Uh, maybe he gets traded. If he gets traded to a contender, then we have to reevaluate everything. But as of right now, 
I think this is probably a pretty fair spot for Rafael Devers. I, it wasn't a great year for him. I, I like him. I think he can do better than this. But I don't think that he should be going, as of right now anyway, uh, in those top two rounds. Let's move on to Marcus Semien. Now, we all expected a drop-off for Marcus Semien. And, I mean, I guess he did fall off a little bit. If you want to be technical, he wasn't quite as good as he was the previous year. But he still finished with 101 runs, 26 homers, 83 RBIs, 25 steals, and a 248 batting average. Yahoo has him ranked as the 31st overall player this season. Yeah, that's nothing you can really complain about here with Marcus Semien. I want to pull up ADP from this year, actually, because I can't remember where he was being drafted. I think it was around this range, though, somewhere around pick 30, I think. Uh, let me just pull this up real quickly here. We go down to Texas, Semien, uh, 38. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, I think that's pretty fair. And while I have it here, actually, let me just take a look at Devers, because Devers was probably going pretty high this year. I don't even remember how high it was exactly. Yeah, 15. His ADP was 15, so... That should definitely fall. Semyon, this will probably stay right about the same, I would imagine. I can't see him going too far up or down. We've talked at length about that lineup. I really like the pieces they have around Semyon, and I think he can continue to give you like 20, 20, 20 kind of season, 20 home runs, 20 steals kind of thing, batting around this 250 kind of range, uh, and giving you pretty good counting stats with the runs and the RBI. So I think Marcus Semyon is still pretty good in this range. Uh, I, I like that lineup. That's that's a big thing for me, especially right now when I'm trying to figure out these rankings, and that's why I have Devers a little bit lower than maybe some people would. It's the lineup around him I don't have a lot of faith in. The Rangers, I think they're going to keep getting better and better. I think they're on opposite trajectories there, uh, Texas and Boston. So I would be I would be pretty interested in taking Semyon here somewhere in the middle, late, uh, I mean, late third, early fourth round kind of range. I think that that makes sense for him. And maybe even push him up a little bit higher because of how scarce second base is. So Marcus Semien, I think 39, makes a lot of sense for him here. Now, let's talk about Justin Verlander. He was pretty tough to rank. He'll be 40 by the time he throws another regular season pitch. And, and, you know, similarly to Scherzer, I wrote this in the article, I don't see Verlander going out there and fizzling away with a 6 ERA and then, you know, being forced to retire. Not being forced, but then retiring after a horrible year you know, taken away from your legacy, leaving a bit of a bad taste in everybody's mouth. I don't really see him doing that, but I also don't see him doing this again, what he did this year, which was a sub two ERA and what will likely be uh, his third Cy Young. I don't see him doing that again. At the price that he's likely to go, I don't think that I will be interested. I think that this is probably about right somewhere in round four. If he's being pushed up, if he's being pushed up into the twenties or even into the thirties, I think that you're getting a little bit too cute with it. Go for the younger studs. There's 13 or four. how many pitchers have I had so far? He is the 14th ranked pitcher that I have here. So I'm right now, I am truly more comfortable taking all the guys ahead of him. And even maybe one or two guys will be below him because there's just a lot of risk with Justin Verlander. He's really hard to rank. I think that he's going to play next season. We've heard him talk about how he wants to play till he's 45 or something. Now, maybe the Astros win a World Series this year, and maybe he just says, you know what, I don't need to go through a, another year of this got a couple World Series. I got Cy Youngs. I'm going to the Hall of Fame on the first try. Maybe maybe there is something that changes in him if they win a World Series. If they don't, he comes back. I'm sure he'll come back if they don't. Then I think that this range probably makes sense for him. Around 40, um, I, don't, I don't see him getting pushed much farther up this board. Maybe he'll go a little bit down, but I think that this is probably about the peak for him in terms of where I'm going to have him ranked uh, heading into next season. Austin Riley's coming in next here at 41. 
I think that he is a really safe pick in this range, and he's somebody who could jump up a little bit. But I think over the last two years, he's shown us pretty much what he's going to do. 90 runs, 35 to 40 homers, roughly 100 RBIs, and somewhere, I think, between what he batted this year and last year. It was 273 this year, 303 last year. I think he'll probably fit somewhere in the middle there. I've talked about at length how much I love the Braves lineup. I think that they are pretty much just as good as what the Dodgers put out there. Maybe not statistically, but from a fantasy point of view, if you have a guy batting third on the Braves or third on the Dodgers, you're getting probably pretty similar production. Now, Riley, third, fourth spot in that lineup behind guys like Michael Harris, and then you think maybe Ozzie Albies and some, I don't, I don't even know how they're going to put that lineup next season. Maybe Swanson stays and he's still in that role. It's it's a good problem to have there at the top of that lineup. There are a lot of guys who could, you know, you could pretty much take you could take a lot of different combinations and throw them at the wall and say, yeah, that could be one through five for the Braves. Or, no, this maybe could be one through five for the Braves. Like, there's not – they're just so talented at the top that it doesn't even really matter. I think this range will generally make sense for him. Maybe he pushes up a little bit as we approach draft season into the third round. I think that that's probably third round, early fourth round here, I think, is where we'll see him go in most drafts. I doubt that there will be a ton of movement with Austin Riley. So 41 is where I have him right now, of course – like with every player, a lot could change, but I don't think too much will in regards to Riley. Randy Arozarena is next up here at number 42, and this is right where he finished in Yahoo. He was the 42nd ranked player. 72 runs, 20 homers, 89 driven in, 32 steals, and a 263 batting average. As a whole, it was pretty similar to what we saw from him the year before. Uh, fewer runs with more RBIs. Now, the steals were a big jump here, 20 to 32. That's obviously huge. And the batting average, 274 to 263, is not something we're going to worry about so much here. I think that with the, with the Rays, I mean, the thing with them is that you can't look at the lineup around him and say there's no support because they just don't really fit into that rule. They just always figure it out. Whoever it is that has production, whether it's Isak Paredes or Yandy Diaz or Manuel Margot, there's going to be guys who are not sexy fantasy players, and they end up having really good value batting around a Rosarena in that lineup. What he does is five categories. I know it's not the highest level of five category, like, you know, like your Trey Turners or Acunas or whatever, but he's providing across the board. And I think in the middle of round four here, it, it probably makes a lot of sense. There's not much worry here for me in drafting him. I think it's a pretty safe draft pick. This is a fairly safe range for me in general. I think even Devers at 38, pretty safe. Uh, Semyon at 39, Riley at 41, a Rosarena at 42. I, I think this range is, you're not shooting for the moon, but you're also setting a pretty high floor for your draft if you're picking these guys around this range. Next up at 43 here, got Spencer Strider. He had an incredible rookie season. I've still got my rookie of the year bet that I've talked about on and off for him. I wish I threw more money on it. It was only 10, but I think it was 10 or 15 bucks. Uh, but Michael Harris kind of snuck in there at the end. Maybe he will take it from him. I think the betting was was really close by the end of it. But he was more than worthy of, of having Rookie of the Year. 38% strikeout rate, a 267 ERA. He's going to be a really popular pick next season, and I could see some people you know, doing some foolish things with Spencer Strider and picking him. I don't know. I could see some people. The minimum pick might be somewhere in round two. I could see that just based on the strikeouts. People will project that he'll get even better next year, which he probably will. And I think that he'll throw some more innings, but I wouldn't be picking him that high. I think that he, he is this very, I don't know, he's a very at, attractive fantasy player with those strikeouts on that team. There's something about him that, you know, draws you in. 
but we can't reach so much based on the intangibles. We have to look at the pitches. Yes, throw two pitches. I mean, that might be a problem. If he ends up developing a third pitch in there, then maybe we're going to be a little more interested. As of right now, I mean, it didn't hurt him this year, but as you go along as a starter in the major leagues, if you only have two pitches, it's probably not going to go terribly well for you. Uh, it's it's a, it's risky. There's there's certainly some risk with with taking Strider. Maybe they don't throw him so many innings. That's not really the biggest concern. The innings because in 130 this year, he was still a top 50 player. But I'm not. I'm keeping my expectations a little bit in check for him, despite the fact that I'm expecting him to still take a bit of a step forward. I wouldn't expect him to be a first round player next year, which is I've seen it talked about on Twitter once or twice. Maybe some people are just, you know, very, maybe it's Braves fans. Maybe people just won championships with Strider this season or whatever, but I'm keeping the expectations ever so slightly in check here. I think that somewhere in round four, it makes sense to draft him, but if people in your leagues, if his ADP is 25 or 27 or something, I think that that's probably going to be pricing him out of my range. Love the dude. I think that he'll be a really, really good pitcher, but I'm not taking him as my SP1. I think I want at least one guy ahead of him there just to buffer in case there is something. You know, maybe he doesn't throw that many innings. Maybe he's just not that great. I mean, the sophomore slump is a legitimate thing in baseball, whether it's pitchers or, or hitters. I mean, God forbid me for even saying this, but Trevor Rogers this year, after his incredible rookie year, was someone that we were dropping pretty universally by like June. So I think that Strider, it's different pitchers, obviously different situations, but just in general in your second year, people do get phased from time to time. I wouldn't expect that out of him, but it's definitely in the back of my head and it's something that's, it's definitely possible. So Strider, I really like the dude. I just wouldn't be picking him as your SP1 second round kind of guy. I don't think he's there yet. Number 44, we got Cedric Mullins. Now he didn't hit as many home runs or have as high of a batting average as you were probably hoping for. But Cedric Mullins was still one of the more valuable players that you could have had on your rosters this season. He was the 52nd ranked player, 89 runs, 16 homers, 64 ribbies, a th- uh, 34 steals, and a 258 batting average. Granted, from the year prior, it's probably generally a quote-unquote disappointment, but it's still it's not like you were dropping him or anything. He was still really good. And the Orioles roster is another one that I'm really keeping an eye on next year. There's a couple, the Orioles, Texas, Kansas City, Arizona. There's a few lineups that I think are going to have sneaky value next season when, you know, people are going to draft their Astros high and Braves and Mets and Dodgers like they should, but there's going to be value with guys, not even just Cedric Mullen, but I think a lot of Orioles players are going to take a step. Not, I don't think Mullins will take much of a step, but I think the guys around him will, which will benefit his production as well. There's also the fact that he'll be going likely around later than last year. His ADP was 36. I think that where I have him here at 44 is probably about right. Maybe you get him even a little bit lower. And I mean, the lower this goes, the more I'd be inclined to take a shot on him. But I think somewhere at the end of round four, assuming it's a 12-teamer, 44 here for Mullins is, is probably generally correct. Next guy is a little bit harder to place, Ozzy Albies. It's going to be the cheapest you're ever going to pay for Ozzy Albies in redraft. It's, I mean, in any draft, probably heading into next year, it'll be the cheapest you ever pay for him. This season, he was 17th was his ADP. Now, he didn't play a hell of a lot this year, and it wasn't his fault. He was injured for a lot of the year. He ended up with only 247 at-bats. And he wasn't particularly great when he was out there. Eight homers, three steals. He batted 247. It wasn't fantastic out of Ozzy Albies. But for all the same reasons with Harris and with Acuna and with Austin Riley, 
that lineup is just absurdly good. He's going to slot right back in. You have to assume health. I mean, maybe you don't have to assume health, but his injuries are not injuries where I would look at them and say, you know, these are long-term problems at this moment. Uh, he had a foot injury, he fractured his foot, and then it was a, he broke his pinky. So uh, these are not things where it's, you know, it's elbow, it's knee, it's whatever. It's things that I think that he can really get past and have a great season again. Like he only played 64 games, and he's going to no doubt will fall past where he was going last year. So he'll push up a little bit, I think, as we get closer to the season. But he's falling past that second-round ADP. If you just think back to the last time we had a full season from Ozzie Albies, which was last year, he had 103 runs, 30 homers, 106 driven in, 20 steals, and a 259 batting average. You're just one year removed from that with some fluky injuries, and now he's going to be going lower. I don't know how much lower exactly. I think I'll probably end up pushing him up a little bit. Because even as I look at this now, I mean, I did these a week ago, or a week, two weeks ago now. Even 45 might seem a touch low for him. I think that he'll go up a little bit, but his price will still be well discounted from what it was last year. At very least one round, maybe even a little bit more. I think the highest you're going to see him go is probably in the 30s. I feel like I'd be okay if he's somewhere, and it is so much time in the offseason to go still, but I think mid to late 30s even wouldn't be too egregious in a 12-team league. You get him as your third pick. I'd be pretty happy with that. I think that the sky is the limit still for Ozzy Albies. I, I, I can't remember how old he is. I think he's like 25 or something like that. Uh, he's tw- Yeah, he's 25 years old still. Man, every time I look at the Braves roster and look at the, how these guys are all locked up forever already, it's it's incredible. This team is going to be a fantasy juggernaut for you know the next seven years at least. You've got to figure. They're, they're just incredible. Ozzy Albies probably slot right back into the top middle of that lineup. And that 130, 120 that we saw a year ago is, is well within reach. Let's keep it going with Nolan Arenado. We know what to expect from him. 30 home runs, roughly 100 RBIs, somewhere in the 280, 270 kind of ballpark. There's a chance that I move him up a little bit here. But I think that this is probably generally about right for Nolan Arenado. He doesn't score quite as many runs as I was probably hoping for in the St. Louis offense. There's not as many as he was scoring in Colorado. Better team, worse ballpark. Uh, Only 73 runs, which is not terrible. But 81 last year, 73 this year. You'd figure for a guy with 30 and 100, batting in a 272. I mean, this year was 293. You'd figure he'd score some more runs. Now, that's not really a gripe against him. Nothing he can really do about that. But just something kind of interesting to note. In his Colorado years, he was over 100 runs pretty much every single season. And now 81 and 73, it's not great. 38th, he finished over on Yahoo. I think that that's probably about right. I want to see what happens with St. Louis this offseason. They announced actually today that Adam Wainwright's going to come back for another season. So I guess, you know, we'll be in on Adam Wainwright again, just as a side note, probably around pick 200, 250, wherever he's going. I think he'll be worth a dart throw. But we have to see what else, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to see what else they end up doing here in St. Louis. Maybe they bring in a couple more pieces to supplement that offense. It's already a pretty strong offense, but. Maybe the front office gets a little bit tired of you know these last couple of seasons, specifically this year, of not living up to expectations. So maybe they bring in a couple of pieces to help out around there. I think that they're probably going to look fairly similar. I don't think that there's going to be too much room uh, for change here with Arenado. This is generally correct. Not too much needs to be said about him. I think that he'll finish somewhere in the 35 to 50th kind of player range. And this at 46 right here, I think it feels feels generally correct. Aaron Nola, he's the next guy we have here. A pretty similar sentiment to what Zach Allen's uh, write-up said. After a bad year, we were buying in. 
I was buying in heading into this season, and it paid off for you. Aaron Nola was, I've seen some people talk about, I think there was a pitcherless article, I think maybe Nick Pollock wrote it, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, about how Aaron Nola was really one of the best pitchers in all of baseball this season. He walked 28 batters in 205 innings. He had a 325 ERA. The crazy thing, the real crazy thing with Aaron Nola is despite the 325 ERA, he had 235 strikeouts in 205 innings. He had a sub one whip, and he had a losing record. Awful, awful nonsense. That is the fantasy world we live in. But despite having an 11-13 and 13 record, he still was able to be a top 50 fantasy player. And I think we have to draft him as such next year. Even this year, coming into this season, when I look back at his ADP, it was 42 coming into the year. I thought it would have been lower, just thinking back on what he did last year. I thought it would have fallen at least into the 50, 60, 70 range. Maybe some people push him up even higher because, you know, he had a great year after kind of a poor year. It doesn't really make much sense that his ADP would stay generally the same. I think it will, though. I don't think there's too much room to push him up higher than this. If he is pushed up too much higher than this, then I would kind of lose my interest a little bit. I still I still like him a lot, but I don't think I'd be taking him, you know, ahead of guys that I have in the in the low 30s. I wouldn't take him ahead of Manoa or Brandon Woodruff, Max Fried, and those guys. If he starts getting pushed up into that range, and maybe some of you would take him in that same group. For me personally, I think he's just a just a breath below those other guys. If he is getting pushed up into that early third, I'd probably pass and take one of those other guys or just wait a little bit longer in general. Let's move on now to our third closer off the board. This is another guy who is a little bit tricky to rank, but it's Josh Hader. And if you guys remember what Josh Hader did in April, he did not allow run. He was like literally looked like he was going to go for like 70 saves. He was incredible. But then it all kind of fell apart after that. And there are a couple things we have to keep in mind with Josh Hader. And that's something that I've tried to remember on the show. Whenever we've brought him up this season, specifically in the latter half of the year, his wife had pregnancy complications that caused him to miss. Uh, it was a couple different stints while he was with the Brewers still where he had to be away from the team. Gets traded midseason, which obviously is just another complication and headache, especially you dealing with your wife who's pregnant, dealing with problems in that regard already. And then you got to pick up and move to another city, another state. It's a, it's a lot. The human element is forgotten a lot in these things. But if you saw Josh Hader in the playoffs, he looked pretty damn good. He's starting to settle in there for a better team than he was on before. Not that that really dictates save opportunities, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty in on Josh Hader around 48 here. Uh, I think that he could be the number one closer again. I don't think that those days are behind him or anything like that. <clears throat> if, if there had been no problems with his wife this year, I'm, I'm fairly confident he would have been able to sustain Maybe not as quite as good as he was in April because it was just ridiculous. But I think that he could probably still give you a sub-2 ERA with 35, 40 saves and the ridiculous strikeouts that we know and love about Josh Hader. So don't be fading him because he was bad this year and he sucks now. And there's no, you know, whatever, whatever rationale you have or people are giving you, it's not true. Josh Hader is still fantastic. I'm going to be drafting him all I can this season because he's going to be a little bit discounted. Last year, he was going in some drafts as high as the second round. You know, somewhere, I got him in a couple of drafts. I had a lot of Josh Hader this year, actually. I think I was getting him usually in the 27 to 32 kind of range. 20, you know, let's call it 25 to 35. Generally, I was getting Josh Hader there. And this season, he'll be falling a little bit lower. Uh, I do want to check out, I've been looking at that NFBC uh, early ADP quite a bit here. And I just want to see where he's going. And I think... From looking at this before, I think that he's going somewhere close to where I have him ranked. Let me see. Uh, 48. He's literally going right at 48. 
if his draft price next year stays in that range, end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth, assuming it's a 12-team league, I'm probably going to have him on almost every team. You know, I was taking him end of second, beginning of the third this year. I'll be very, very happy with a two-round discount when there's – I understand why people would be a little bit nervous, but I, I, I'm not really that worried about Josh Hader at all. Next up at 49, I got Kevin Gosman. I think he's one of the most underrated pitchers in all of baseball. He didn't make the All-Star game, and that really pissed me off. I mean, I'm a Toronto guy, so I'm a little bit, the flame burns a little bit hotter when we're talking Toronto stuff. But it was just stupid that he wasn't in the All-Star game. Like, he should legitimately get Cy Young votes. He should be a top 10, I mean, probably even higher, top 7 or top 8 Cy Young vote-getter in the American League. He had the worst BABIP in baseball. It was 363. And he had the second best fielding independent pitching at 238. He had the best FIP in the American League. Specifically, though, when I look at the BABIP and you look at the guys who allowed the worst BABIP, and Gosman was worst by like 35 points over number two, which is another Blue Jay, Jose Barrios. I'm just going to read you the ERAs of these guys in the top. I'll read you just the top few of them here anyway. 335 for Gosman, followed by 523, 453, 434, 442, 507, 371. These guys, for the most part, who allowed a high BABIP were not having good ERAs this season. The only one who allowed kind of a high BABIP and had a good ERA was Martin Perez. And his not great BABIP was 295. We're looking at 70 points lower than Gosman. And yet Gosman's ERA was within, what was it, 30 points of him? Something like that. Yeah, about 30 points. I really see him as one of the best pitchers in the American League, really in all of baseball. But I think if you're getting him here in round five somewhere, end of round four, beginning of round five, I'm very, very comfortable in doing that. I think the Blue Jays will probably make a really big push this offseason to bring in a couple more reinforcements on the mound and in the lineup. So I think that team will just keep getting better and better. And the luck should correct itself next season. A 363 bat, but it was by far the worst in baseball. I, I don't expect that to continue with Kevin Gosman. Now we are on to number 50. Number 50 here, and there was a couple of guys who I debated putting in this spot, but I ended up settling on Jose Altuve. Long track record, you know pretty much exactly what you're going to get from him. I'm a little uncertain about the steals. Some people think that the steals will keep going up with Altuve. I don't know if we're going to see that necessarily. I mean, he's 33 now, or he's going to be 33 at the beginning of next season. Are we going to see him still stealing a lot? We'd already seen it kind of decline these last couple of years, and then he shot up for 18 this year. Now, I know the bases are getting bigger, and there's different rules around guys who can or how many times you can throw over to first base so maybe he does keep this generally the same but I wouldn't be drafting him because you're hoping for 20 steals I think if he does that it's a nice little bonus but you're getting decent runs oh I mean more than decent runs you're getting 100 ish runs 20 to 25 home runs the power will always confuse me with this guy at five foot six how he has so much power five six 166 pounds I don't understand it 57 RBIs this season was not great, but I think typically you're going to be getting a few more than that out of him. <clears throat> you should probably expect in the 60 to 70 range, and he'll bat somewhere close to 300. I think maybe it won't be exactly 300 like this year. It might be 275, 280. We're not going to see him reach those old heights anymore, I don't think, the 340, 345 days, but he should still be able to give you a pretty well-rounded stat line, contributing at least you know four categories if you don't want to count RBIs. And I think with steals, even if he's not a massive contributor he should still be able to give you 10 I think that that's probably reasonable factor in the age and then counteract that with the bigger bases and you know the limited amount of pickoff attempts I think that we'll probably see 10 steals out of him so let's call it 100 runs 25 homers 
uh, 60 ribbies, 10 steals, and a 280 batting average. I think that that's probably generally where you should be uh, projecting him for next season. Number 50 does feel pretty right. Maybe you're going to get him a little higher, a little bit lower, but this I think is is probably correct here at number 50. And I know I've said that about a lot of players, and hell, I'm talking about my own ranking, so I guess I, I should think they're correct because I put them together. But I don't see too much movement here with a lot of these players. I mean... Your DeGroms and Trouts and Tatis and Verlander, those guys, there could be some movement depending on the news we hear in the offseason, if there's trades. I mean, Aaron Judge is another one. These will be gone over again a couple times throughout the offseason, but I don't see a lot of general change. The top of the draft, we're going to see the guys I think that were projected, Turner and Ramirez and Acuna and Rodriguez and Shohei and judge. I think that those guys will be the consensus top six picks. I mean, maybe if you're playing on Yahoo and Otani is only either a batter or a pitcher, then he's not going to go in the first round. Well, maybe at the end of the first round, that'll be a whole different kind of rankings we're going to have to do for him. I think with Otani, I'll have to just, you know, go through every single format and just put out a separate ranking for him based on that, which is what some people do. There's just too many different formats and ways you can play Otani specifically that kind of you know, it's hard to rank him just in a vacuum. You kind of have to give a little bit more context in terms of that. I do want to list these guys who just missed the cut for me here. Luis Robert, Lou Bob, I, I want to put him in the top 50 because he has that potential, but the injury risk with him, like they're, he's just never on the field for a, a sustained amount of time. So until he's actually able to do that, I'm not really going to be investing a top four, top five pick in him. And I've seen his ADP this year. It's like, I think it's in the 30s. I'm not, I mean, he can do it on a per game basis, but that doesn't really do me much good without knowing how many games he can be playing. Maybe it's 100, maybe it's 50, maybe it's 150, but I'm not really going to be taking him in that top 50 range right now. I don't think I will be, even when it comes to draft season, I'm just not really that confident in him. I think there's a lot safer picks. Uh, Carlos Rodon also just missed the cut. I think that he could have snuck in here when I first initially did these I think he was number 50 and then I I switched them around a little bit he could be there I want to see where he's pitching next season and then we'll really be able to determine his value um Framber Valdez is somebody who also just missed the cut I like him a lot now he doesn't have the same kind of strikeout upside as a lot of these other pitchers we've talked about here Uh, a main theme with a lot of my pitchers that we've put in the top 50 here is they can strike out a hell of a lot of batters he's not bad Valdez he's close to a strikeout per inning he plays for a really good team. Uh, you know, he was incredible this year with the quality starts, but I think that he is pretty comfortably behind the other guys we have listed here. He'll be in the next 10, uh, the next five, but uh, just uh, just outside the top 50 here. Uh, Adelise Garcia is also somebody that I have just missing the cut. Before this season, I was a little bit skeptical like the rest of us, but I mean, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing. He's done it two seasons in a row now. This season was actually better than the previous year. More steals, more RBIs, more runs. Home runs were within four. Uh, and the average was just a touch higher. So it was, you want to call it a lateral season, if not a little bit better from Adelise Garcia. I think that he pretty comfortably, comfortably will be drafted here somewhere in round six. I think that, that if he's going below that, then he's a huge bargain. I like the Rangers lineup. I think they'll just continue to add to it. They spent a hell of a lot of money last offseason. I doubt that they do that and say, okay, this is the team now. I think they're going to just keep improving, adding on to that team. Josh Young, Nate Lowe, uh, Marcus Semien, Corey Seager. I like a lot of these guys around him in that lineup, and I think that we could see potentially another top 50 season from him. One last guy here that I have as an honorable mention, and it's JT Realmuto. I think that he's somebody who you could potentially put into that top 50 
he's not for me because I just don't think we're going to see another 2020 season. Maybe we do, but I don't think we see quite that many steals from him again. Everything else is pretty safe. He's close to a five-category contributor from behind the plate, which is which is huge. And I'm not like low on him or anything, <clears throat> but I don't think that I would want to be taking him just inside the top 50. I'd probably push him a little bit below that. Before this, his high-end steals was 13. Can he do 21 again? Maybe he can. As you enter into your 30s as a catcher, I, I doubt you start to steal more. I don't think that that makes a hell of a lot of sense. He does catch the vast majority of the time. 133 games behind the plate, only three at first base. Actually, I think that would mean that he's going to lose his first base eligibility then. So that will take a little bit away from JT Real Muto. I don't even think we really touched on that when we did the catcher video, or maybe we did now. It's been so long, but he's going to lose that first base eligibility. Maybe it makes you push him down just a touch more. I'm always a sucker for catchers with the second position, and JT Real Muto has had that, but now that will be something that will be uh, going away. So that's not the factor here. I'm just a little bit worried specifically about the steals. I like the lineup. I like the team. I think they're overperforming, but I like the team. Uh, I just, those 21 steals, probably going to be closer to 10 next year, which would push him down. He was 47th ranked player this season, probably looking at somewhere in the 50, 60 range next season. At least that's what I'm thinking. And that's where I have him ranked. But guys, thank you for sticking with me as we break down this top 50. We're going to expand on it, like I've said, throughout the offseason. The next update will probably be it'll be a top 100. And then the next one after that, we'll see how ambitious I get, how much time I can really sink into these, if it's going to be 200 or if it's going to be 250. I'll just keep adding to it here and there throughout the offseason so it won't be just like, you know, such a big task one day. We'll just keep chipping away here and there slowly. But, guys, thank you. Thank you for sticking it out. Thank you for downloading, subscribing, following on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB. Specifically, I know I've been a pain in the ass about this, but go follow Ethos Fantasy BB if you're listening, if you haven't done so already. That's where all of our content is posted out from. I know I share it out on my own account as well, but Ethos Fantasy BB is where we'll bring on a ton of, we have brought on a ton of writers, and that is where they're going to be writing from throughout the offseason and into next year. If you're just following me, then, I mean, I'll retweet the stuff when I can, but it won't always be on my account. So Ethos Fantasy BB, E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB, You'll get blurbs there eventually, hoping for next season. Like you see on the basketball side, that might be another year away, though. But for sure, articles, more podcasts will be coming, and a tons of Twitter work for myself and from our other writers and analysts. Guys, that'll be it for me. We'll pick it up again tomorrow with Shortstop. We'll get back into the positional reviews. Until then, cheers, everybody. Take care. <laughs>